0: We are doing a series that we're calling Tools of the Trade. As Becky's already shared, it's about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And in the first week, we just looked at the whole of 1 Corinthians 12, um, talking about what the different gifts are. um, And really, we looked at how these are not gifts that we possess, that we take hold of, as if we can say, tongues is my gift or prophecy is my gift, or working miracles is my gift. No, these are things that the Holy Spirit gives to you at the point of need. So if you have a problem in front of you that is spiritual warfare, you need gift of discernment of spirits. And so the Holy Spirit gets it from the tool belt, puts it in your hand and you can use it. If you happen to need to give someone wisdom, Funnily enough, there's a gift, the word of wisdom that the Holy Spirit lifts out, puts in your hands for you to use in that situation. So these are not things that we possess and hold on to. They are things that the Holy Spirit gifts us with in the moment. Last week, Becky was sharing about from 1 Corinthians 13 about how these gifts are actually worthless without love. I can speak in the tongues of men and angels, but if I have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I can have all sorts of knowledge, but if I don't have love, what's the point? I can give up my body to be burned. But if I don't have love, it is pointless. So love is the context that the gifts of the Spirit work within. If you're not pursuing love, then you're actually going to hurt people in pursuing the gifts of the Spirit. And there have been enough people hurt in the name of Jesus for my liking. So let's not do that. Let's pursue love. This week, we are going to be looking at a crucial part of learning to use the gifts of the Spirit. And that is actually wanting to. Actually desiring the gifts of the Holy Spirit. See, there are a couple of common approaches that you might have come across on this front when it comes to desiring spiritual gifts. You've got the open but cautious. You know, theologically, sure, I can't say that these things don't happen anymore, but if it happens to me, fine, but I don't want to seek it out. I've seen too many fakes, weirdos, and freaks go right off the deep end in this area. Sounds kind of reasonable, right? None of us want to be fakes, freaks, or weirdos. Um, have you come across that sort of attitude to the gifts of the Spirit before? It, you may not have done. Good. I have. I grew up in a very, very conservative Anglican, John Stott-style church between the ages of four and 14, four and 18. And that is their attitude to the gifts of it. They couldn't say 100% it definitely doesn't happen, but we're not going to make it part of our church culture. The other one is and you might have heard this, I'm going to seek the giver, not the gifts. Have you heard that? No? You've been in better churches than I have, wow. Um, I have heard this, when I first came into the the, uh, kind of filling of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, people were saying things like, well, don't forget, you've got to seek the giver, not the gifts. You know, you've got to be balanced about this. And it sounds right. It sounds spiritual, because of course we want God. Of course we want to seek him. And in its favour, it does put seeking Jesus front and centre. And I don't ever want to be in the position where I say that's wrong. Because it isn't. Seeking Jesus above all things is absolutely where we need to be. But both of these ways of approaching the things of the Spirit, I believe are hit head on by the verse on which I'm basing this morning's message. And that verse is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, which says this, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy. And if we're going to faithfully follow the Bible, which we want to do, yes? We want to follow what the Bible says? Amen. That includes this verse. And that hits head on these two approaches that I've come across in my history. The open but cautious, you don't get that option, I'm afraid. You don't get to say, if it happens to me, all right, fine. No, because of what God inspired Paul to write, Paul encourages us to eagerly desire. The Greek word is zelote, zealous. Be zealous for the things of the spirit. He wasn't saying this to your typical Bible church that could just do with being a little bit more lively as well. He was saying this to a church that was actually, we'll find out in the rest of 1 Corinthians 14, was getting it wrong in quite, some quite major ways. There were people that were speaking over each other in tongues to show off, look, I'm more spiritual than you. Or people were trying to out-prophesy one another and cut across someone who was already sharing something. Or they were just trying to show how great they were by their wielding of spiritual power. That is why Paul is writing these three chapters that we're looking at, 12 through 14. And when you see people doing crazy things in the name of God, you could be forgiven for saying, maybe just hold up on the spiritual gifts for now. That would be sensible advice, right? Maybe just de-emphasize it a little bit. Maybe emphasize looking at Jesus more. Or maybe, you know, go and read the Old Testament, because that's the only bit of the Bible they had at that point. But, you know, focus on the Bible, not on the things of the Spirit. No, he doesn't say that. He says to these people that are already zealous for things of the Spirit, carry on eagerly desiring the gifts of the Spirit. See, we can't give in to fear, scepticism or good common sense. We need to be zealous and passionate in our desire for the things of the spirit. It also hits head on that seek the giver, not the gifts attitude. Can we all agree that someone who says, forget the giver, just give me the gifts, is a bit off base? Oh, yes. That ain't right, is it? I think we've all seen kids on Christmas Day. We might have all been that kid on Christmas Day who just plows through, powers on, present to present to present to present, not really even stopping to say thank you, what they want are the toys. Show me the goods. I want the presents. That ain't right. If we are not seeking the giver, then we have no right to seek the gifts. Amen? We're gonna get in danger. But if we take this verse seriously, we have to admit that just as it's unbiblical to say, "Forget the giver, give me the gifts," it's just as unbiblical to say, "I want the giver, not the gifts." Because both these attitudes forces us to make a choice between two things that can and should go together, because we can and should seek the giver and the gifts. Yeah? We can seek. God's face and his hand working amongst us. They are not mutually exclusive.
1: Can I say something, John? Because Mm. I had to think a lot about what you started off with. Yep. Because the church that I belong to, is the Salvation Army, Mm -hmm. fantastically focused on Jesus in the sense... Well, they're a bit too focused on the Salvation Army as well, but... But but, um, the thing that I realised for a long time, they used to have a a testimony period. Mm -hmm. Okay, and if you like, that was a bit bit of freedom, but mostly it got caught up with anecdotes. And when I eventually worked out a little bit more about the Holy Spirit, it wasn't that I worked out this much. as I look back on the... um, On, the time, on some of the times that I hadn't been sharing anecdotes but had actually spoken something, yes, there would have been some relevance in, in what I was saying. I looked back and I discovered that actually it was absolutely lined up with what was going to be preached later on, even though we didn't know, it. We'd never, we were never told that. Yep. And I started to realize that God, even though I didn't really know or understand the Holy Spirit, God was actually already being
0: active. Yeah. Now I, I you probably <clears throat> realise that there has been a major change
1: in that because now I really do want to share, um, mm. and, and I want both of the things that you're talking about all of the time. Amen. Does that help? Yeah. It's just that I, I, had, to, I had to think about it because it it didn't quite, you know. It was like the um, the Anglican church. They used to talk about the second blessing as though it was something spooky. Uh-huh. I suppose it was spooky really. Mm-hmm. But um,
0: Holy Ghost. Um, but but it I, I couldn't quite put it into the right category, but I, I just wanted to share that I, I understand what you're saying mm-hmm. Amen. Sorry, I'm no, not No, your no you're all right. You're all right. It's I think the key thing there is that one of the big things, and we'll get to it in a moment, that puts us off having a go in these areas, is, well, I might get it wrong. In my experience, actually, I think I've got it flat out wrong twice. God wants us to succeed in these areas. So even when you don't know a whole lot about doing it, somehow it just magically seems to line up with what God is already gonna do later on through what the preacher has to say. I've seen that many times, choosing the songs for worship. I haven't a blue's clue what the preacher is going to be saying, but the songs I've picked just happen to be the right songs to support that there's no such thing as coincidence. Coincidences happen when I pray and they stop when I stop praying. You know, God wants us to do these things. Why should we desire to move in spiritual gifts? Why should we want to do it? I think the most basic thing, having looked last week at how our motive in all these things should be love, is that it is one way that we can love and encourage one another. I can remember one Sunday morning where, uh, in our church in Basingstoke, where I just looked at someone and I knew that I had to go and say, you know, God is saying to you that he sees you and he hasn't forgotten you. He knows you by name and he is with you. So I went up and I just put my arm around the guy and I said, I feel like God says that he sees you and he knows you and he hasn't forgotten you. And he just said, you know what? I I was praying this morning and I was saying to God, do you even see me? Do you know me? How encouraged did he leave that morning? And if I can get it right, you can get it right. There's nothing special about me whatsoever. The other thing, I think, it helps us to live and serve like Jesus did. Yeah, If we are supposed to be disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, then surely we should be doing the sorts of things he did in the Gospels. Speaking into people's lives with supernatural revelation and wisdom. Praying and seeing people healed. Preaching the good news or sharing the good news if preaching sounds a bit scary. But just sharing the good news that there is a God in heaven who is near to you. That is the sort of thing we should be doing. And without the gifts of the Spirit, all we've got are words. But with the gifts of the Spirit, with the power of the Holy Spirit, God comes and God moves and touches people's lives. The other bit, I think, is that it is the birthright of all who follow Jesus. In John 14, Jesus says this, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Do you believe? It's a huge, big one, it has to be true because he said it. I believe in Jesus. I have yet to see that in my experience. Yeah. But the word of God is the word of God. And so, if I have to make a judgment between which is deficient, my experience or the word of God, I'm gonna say it's my experience. And I'm gonna hope and pray for the same works that he did and even greater works. But why? Because he went to the Father? What did Jesus do after he went to the Father? Poured out his Holy Spirit. That is why we, as the people of God can do more works, greater works than Jesus, who was one man in one place with the same Holy Spirit, God incarnate, amen. But he went to the Father and poured out his Spirit on all of us so that we can go around doing the same works that he did. This is our birthright in Mark 16. Now, I appreciate if you look in your Bible, this will be in the bit of the Bible that says, the earliest manuscripts do not have this ending. Yeah? And so there are people that will try and tell you, this is not valid because it wasn't in the earliest copies of Mark that we have. Do you know what? Even if it wasn't, I think it shows you the mindset of the early church and what the early church believed about these things. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. These are things that Jesus promises those who believe. So again, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yes. Then we can lay hands on this and say, Jesus, you promised these things. They are useful in mission and evangelism. There is a whole book about this by John Wimber called Power Evangelism, but I want to read a story from this one, Sustainable Power by Simon Holly. He's the leader of another sphere in New Frontiers called Catalyst and also the senior pastor of King's Arms in Bedford. And it is page 138. This book, Sustainable Power, is full of encouraging stories of God doing this stuff today. In this day and age, in the UK. One afternoon, early in our journey towards seeing the power of God break out of the church walls and onto the streets, a friend and I decided to go treasure hunting in the town centre. you guys comfortable with what treasure hunting is? Come across it before? The idea of it is that you get together with some people, you pray and say, God, who do you want to touch today? And God will give words of knowledge about people that he wants to touch. And then you go out on the streets and you look for people that match those words of knowledge and then you go up and just share the love of God with them. Yeah? So we took a few minutes to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us and guide us and then wrote down our clues on pieces of paper. After a fruitless 20 minutes, we were led to approach a group of teenagers. Shortly after we began chatting to them, a guy who turned out to be an unofficial leader began to mock us and grabbed the piece of paper from my friend's hand. What's this, he demanded. We told him that it was a list of clues, a bit like a treasure hunt. He scanned the list and then examined the clues. Bad back, he read, and basketball, he mocked. Then he stopped. Well, I've got a bad back. And it did stop me playing basketball, he said, suddenly puzzled. Where did you get this piece of paper? We explained again and said that we felt we should pray for him as maybe God has sent us there for him. He was very reluctant as he said that he was a pagan, but ultimately agreed. He told us he had injured his back three years before and didn't get it treated, and as a result, his coccyx had fused, leaving him in considerable pain and unable to play sport. So we laid hands on his lower back and rebuked the pain. In a second, he began to swear, attracting the attention of the, the milling of teenagers. What did you just do to me? He cursed. We asked him what had happened, and he said he felt a shot of heat go through his back. When we explained that this might have been God healing him, he bent over backwards and began to walk around on his hands and feet. As he did so, he began swearing at the top of his voice and saying, these guys have just healed my back. I couldn't do this before. We realised that swearing was his type of worship, which we'd just have to do for now. His female friend then asked us to pray for her. And then a young man approached my friend and asked for prayer. What's wrong with you, my friend inquired. Nothing, the guy said. Please just pray. My friend began to pray and prophesy over him the fact that God loved him, and as he did so, the young man burst into tears, crying out as if in pain. Many stopped their conversations and turned to see what was happening. "'I'm nothing. I'm no one,' he sobbed. "'Why would God love me? Why would God love me?' He was crying out like a wounded animal in great turmoil in his soul. A girl approached me and asked for prayer for her broken arm. I wondered why she didn't have it in a cast, and she said that it was a fracture.' She was supposed to have a sling, but it wasn't cool. Apparently, she was going to hospital for a cast the next day. I asked her how much mobility she had, and she moved it from tight against her chest to a few inches out, wincing as she did so. We quickly commanded the bone to set and the pain to go. We asked her to move the arm and check it out. She began to move it, and then a big smile appeared on her face as, with increasing confidence, she began to whirl the arm around her head. Swearing again. She declared, it's completely healed. I have no pain. And as this happened, I could feel a tangible shift in the spiritual atmosphere. I'd never seen a broken arm healed, even in church. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end and I knew that something very significant was breaking out right in the town centre. I stood on tiptoes and shouted across the square, God is here and he's healing people and touching them right now. If you want to encounter him, come here now. From the group of teenagers, which had now grown to a group of around 30 or 40 milling around, some began to line up in front of my friend and me, waiting for prayer. In total, we saw at least seven dramatic healings or improvements that afternoon, and many others received prophetic words from God. One guy with three torn ligaments in his shoulder claimed to be pain free. Another with arthritis in his hands became pain free. A girl with chronic migraines was having one as we prayed, but it left instantly. After about two and a half hours, we gathered the crowd of teenagers together and explained to them the message of Jesus. We then spent time talking with a number and encouraging them to give their lives to following Christ. We walked home thrilled with what God had done. And as we did so, I felt the Lord speak very clearly to my spirit. This was not just for you, for your church or your town, he said. This was to show that if I can do it in Bedford, I can do it anywhere." What once was extraordinary will one day become ordinary. That sounds a little bit like what we read in the Bible, right? If they had gone up to a group of teenagers in Bedford Town Centre and just started sharing the gospel with them, what do you think the result would have been? Mockery. Mockery, lack of belief. But go armed with words of knowledge, healing, prophecy. What happens? Young hearts get unlocked. Because it's not just words, it's power, an action that shows there is a God in heaven that knows them. God wants to do the same thing to your friends. Your friends that don't know Him. God wants to work through you and through me. There's another one in here that I love, page 70. Uh, from the same church, but a different guy, Phil Wilthew. A friend of mine was helping to pray for guests on an alpha course at our church and his attention was especially drawn to one man sitting in the front row. As he began to ask God what he should pray for, he clearly felt God imprint the phrase, right mate, into his mind. Feeling somewhat sheepish about sharing such a strange word that seemed neither powerful nor profound, he nevertheless obeyed the prompting. Calling the man out, he said, I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but I feel God would simply say to you, All right, mate. At this point, the man's face lit up into a beaming smile, and soon afterwards, he gave his life to Christ. Turns out that the previous week, he had gone home after the Alpha talk on prayer, and for the very first time, tried to pray on his own. Not having a religious background, he was somewhat unsure about how he should address the Almighty, or actually, even at this stage, whether the Almighty even existed. So he simply decided to talk to God like his friend and started with, "Right, God." Unsure whether this was really the done thing, he then asked God to give him a sign that his prayer had been heard. And when my friend shared his simple prophetic word, all right, mate, its meaning was immediately clear and led to a stunning encounter with Jesus. God can do it in Bedford. I feel like God can do it in Swindon. Yeah? We want to reach out and see Swindon, one for Jesus. Lives that are broken, that are hurting, that need a touch from heaven, brought into the kingdom. We are not going to be able to do it without the gifts of the Spirit. They are also key tools in our spiritual warfare. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says that Paul talks about how the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they're powerful, able to take down strongholds. In Romans 16, 19 to 20, it says, Be excellent at what is good, but be innocent of evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Part of the way that happens is us learning to move in the things of the Spirit. With these tools, we are continuing the mission of Jesus, which in John's Gospel, Jesus summarises it as, to destroy the works of the devil. There are works of the devil in Swindon that need to be destroyed. And these tools will help us as we follow the leading and empowering of the Holy Spirit. Why else do we want these gifts? It helps us build up the body of Christ. Because we can not just take these out onto the streets, we can use them here. And we can encourage one another, just like I did with my mate who felt like God wasn't seeing him and had forgotten him. We can encourage one another here. You can look across the room and say, oh, I feel like Roger, this is for you, and I don't have anything, don't worry, (laughs) as an example. But do you know what? I should pray and see what God has to say to Roger. I should pray and see what God has to say to Paul, to Teresa, to Shelley, to Michaela, to Deborah and to Cindy and to Phil. We should all be doing that so that we can encourage one another. It also brings heaven's resources to meet earthly needs. God with us in our daily lives outside the church. Because the same Holy Spirit that is here is with you and in you outside. Amen? Amen? Amen. So we can take the same gifts that we practice here out into our daily lives. We can pray for healing. We can bring prophecy. We can ask God to give us insight into what people need to hear. And it doesn't have to be freaky or weird. We can make it freaky or weird, but let's not. Let's just say, you know, I believe in a God and I believe that he kind of still brings things to my mind that people need to know. And I feel like he's just brought this to my mind about you. Does that mean anything to you? And it frees them up to say, no, that's weird. And you might have got it wrong. But by, by going in that lower bar approach and not saying, God's saying this to you, You just open the door to maintaining that relationship, even if you did get it slightly wrong. We don't have to make it weird. Discernment of spirits can be useful when facing opposition or strife. Life's hard sometimes, right? Yeah? There are challenges. There are problems. There are things that go on that we don't like. Discernment of spirits can help us spot, is it just that life is hard? We live in a fallen world and I just need to power on through, or... Is there some element of opposition here that I need to take hold of in the name of Jesus and break? The Sermon of Spirits helps us. There tongues. There is space for us to pray in tongues each day. I find that when I'm struggling with a problem at work, if I kind of go get up, go and get a cup of coffee and just pray in tongues under my breath, again, magically, coincidentally, when I sit back down at my desk, I have a brainwave that unlocks that problem. The weirdest one was I did a course at, um, at, at Form, a city and guild photography course, and I could never, ever, 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 in that pitch black room, get the roll of film onto the uh, cassette that you then put and put the development chemi- chemicals in. And it's important because if you get it wrong, the light comes in and your photos are ruined and you've got to go and take them again. And this wasn't digital, this was on film. And you have chemical costs, you've got film costs, you've got the time of getting your heavy camera out and all that. One time, a mate of mine wasn't around to do it, because I always got my mate to do it. And I had to get it done, because I only had a week to get my assignment in. So I go into that dark room, I crack it open, and I'm just praying in tongues as I get it off, and I spool it on, and for the first time in my life, I manage it. I don't believe I would have managed it without the Holy Spirit in me at that particular point. Because the Holy Spirit anoints people for practical physical things as well, right? The first person mentioned of being anointed with the Holy Spirit were people who made the, the things of gold for the temple in the book of Exodus. The gifts of the Spirit testifies that God is with us. 1 Corinthians 14, 25 says that a prophecy that lays bare People's hearts, as they come in amongst us, will lead them to say, God is with you. And it can do that in your daily life as well. And actually, the the final reason is just, they're a bit exciting. God loves to move amongst us. There is something about living with an awareness that God can break in at any point. That I'm sorry, I, I can't go back to life without it. I've had life without this stuff. And it's all right. But knowing that God wants to move in you, through you, by you and for you, there's nothing else like it. That leads to the other side of the question. Why wouldn't you desire the things of the Spirit? What possible barrier could there be? Well, fear. And there's fear that's driven by theology and it sounds like you guys have been in better churches than I have in the past, but there was a theology that said God doesn't really do that sort of thing anymore. And actually, you can get into deception if you start seeking after it. There is a type of fear that is driven by not wanting to be in control anymore, or not wanting to get it wrong and harming God's reputation. What if I get it wrong? Won't God be upset? Won't people think God is weird or wrong or something? I feel like God's big enough and beautiful enough to look after his own reputation. Amen. Yeah? You don't have to fear getting it wrong. I've got quote marks in this bit of my notes, and I can't remember which book it's from or who said it, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's good. Certain people by nature are afraid of the supernatural, of the unusual, of disorder. But you can be so afraid of disorder, so concerned about discipline and decorum and control that you become guilty of what the scripture calls quenching the spirit. We started out in Luke 11 this morning. Which of you, fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake? Or an egg, and he'll give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good things, how much more will your heavenly Father? We don't have to be scared that if we ask for the things of the Spirit, God's going to sell us a pup and give us deception. That isn't who he is. Other reasons you wouldn't is scepticism. You know, is it really God? Really, I think in the West, that is a huge stronghold because we are raised from yay high to believe what we can see with our eyes, touch with our hands and taste with our mouths. Anything else ain't real, is what we're taught. And it's almost drilled into us in school, but there is an unseen reality. There is a supernatural God who wants to work in these things in us. Then the other reason you might not desire these things of the spirit is disappointment. You've tried it and not much happened. I'll take heart from John Wimber. I mentioned him in the first week. Ten months, he stands in front of his church in Anaheim, California, preaching and proclaiming, God wants us to heal the sick. God wants us to heal the sick. If you are sick this morning, come, we will pray for you. Ten months. Ten months. Not a single person got healed until one Sunday, and he's called into a mother who's sick and needs to look after the kids, and the husband can't stay home from work because he's got an important meeting. And he prays a faithless prayer: "Oh Lord, please, pr- please heal." Faithless prayer, no hype, no working up. Suddenly, she gets up. Oh, I feel much better. Would you like some breakfast? disappointment cannot talk us out of this because the thing with the kingdom is that it is now it is here it is ready to touch but it's also not yet there is a final fulfillment when jesus returns when everyone will be healed some people question is it always god's will to heal yes but not always right now There are people that God heals now. Amen. There are people that God does not. I have seen people pray for by churches with aggressive leukemia. The church confident that they're going to live and stay and be the senior pastor. They died. I've been at their funeral. But we can't let the times it doesn't work or the times God doesn't heal because he actually calls that person home hold us back from carrying on. I think the other thing is that it's just a little bit messy sometimes. There was a time I was walking um, toward the bus and it was raining. And I could see that it was threatening. And I was like, Lord, can you just hold off the rain, please? It was dark. It was January, probably. And I just felt, please, Lord, I don't want to stand here waiting for a bus that I know is going to be late in the rain. I haven't got my umbrella. I've got my thin coat. Stop it raining. Do you know what? God didn't stop the rain. What he did do is he spoke to my heart and said, you know what, your attitude to this rain, which I am using to provide for my whole, whole of this creation, is like your attitude to the movement of the spirit sometimes. Are you willing to let my rain of my spirit fall where and when I want it, even if it cuts across your plans, even if it makes you look silly or a little bit crazy, even when it's not convenient? I wish I could say that my response was an immediate, yes, Lord, do it, please. But I had to think about it. I had to think. And my, after thinking about it, my answer is, Lord, let it rain. I might look stupid. I might get it wrong. I will get it wrong. You might look stupid. You might get it wrong. But the rain is worth it. So how can we seek the things of the Spirit? I want to just briefly mention a few things. First of all, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's both receiving the Holy Spirit for the first time, or, as it says in Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk on wine, but be continuously filled with the Spirit. Ask God continuously, Lord, more of your Spirit today, please, more of your Spirit today. We cannot work this up on our own. Two, pursue love. Make love your aim. Ask God to stir up genuine love in your heart for those that you come into, touch, into contact with, with your people in church, with your friends and your neighbours. Ask God to give his love for them to your heart. Because then we can move in the gifts of the Spirit safely in a way that even if we miss the mark, even if someone doesn't get healed, at least people will feel loved. Three, ask for the gifts. When is the last time you asked for a gift of the Spirit? We need to ask. In the book of James, it says this, you desire and do not have. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. The bit before Luke 11 that talks about, with, um, that I read out, ask, seek, knock, is present continuous. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And what does Jesus say? He who asks receives. He who seeks, finds. He who knocks, the door is opened. So ask for the gifts. Do you know Keep priming your pump. Read books like Sustainable Power with stories of God doing this stuff today. Read the Bible and lay hold of it. Say, Jesus, you did this 2,000 years ago. Would you do it today? Read books of missionaries. Read books and stories. Tell each other stories of times when God has worked in your life. Keep priming that pump. And then, afraid to say, there's no other shortcut other than have a go. Have a go. Step out. Take a risk and share what you think God has shown you. Pray in tongues for the first time. Pray that God would heal someone. We can all pray that. We have been praying that recently actually with Eddie in the different um, surgeries he's had. And we've seen God move. And there's been improvements and there's been step backwards, but I believe God has been working through our prayers. And it can feel scary. My very first prophetic word um, I can still remember to this day, uh, it was in worship. And I felt like in response to that old Matt Redmond song, um, I will offer up my life in spirit and truth. I felt like God wanted me to say what, you know, they got that bit. What can I give? What can I bring? What can I sing as an offering? I felt like God wanted me to bring prophetically. I just want you. I want all of you. I want your heart, your mind, your strength, your soul. And I was a bit nervous about it. I was like, no, I'm 14 years old. This is a room full of 80 adults. I'm not going to do that. Okay, Lord, if you want me to do it, let there be silence after this song. And I feel so bad for that poor worship leader because I made him stand there in silence for about two minutes before I finally fessed up with and shared what God had given me. I don't want to honour that worship leader because he could have just ploughed on to the next song, but he must have heard God say, wait a moment. I've got something that needs to come. Come ready to share. And then the last one, fan into flame. 2 Timothy 1.6, Therefore I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of my hands. Two things here. One, laying on of hands. There's something about impartation. There's something about praying that God will give someone a gift that they haven't had before. Second thing, is fanning it into flame. Sometimes we have to stir it up. Sometimes, we, if you know you've moved in the prophetic, you have to say, God, you've done it before. Would you do it again? Stir me up. I just want to encourage you, in the time that we have, Phil's going to lead, come and lead us in a few more songs. If you want to move in the things of the Spirit, if you want to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, as we stand, just stir your heart up. We've all received the Spirit. Ask him for the right tool, for the right job. Amen? Shall we stand? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that, that you give us the Holy Spirit, that you call us to do The works that you did and greater works because you have gone to the father and poured out your holy spirit upon us lord i pray that you would stir up our hearts that you would fill us afresh with your spirit and lord you would give us the courage to step out in a gift that we have not used before or that we've let fall into disuse lord i pray that we will not be held back by fear by a desire to control by, through disappointment or through skepticism, but Lord, you would break those strongholds in our hearts and our minds. Lord, that we would come with faith to see you move, not just here and now, but this afternoon as we leave this place, tomorrow as we go to work or whatever we fill our weeks with. Lord, would you move amongst us and through us that people will be able to see that there is a God in heaven who loves them and knows them and wants to to touch their lives. Fill us up Lord Jesus as we worship you now. Amen.